Hey all, Pastor Drew here. And this podcast series is a book study we're doing with our intercessory team about bringing down strongholds in our city. Now today we're taking uh, a look at chapter 2 that really dives into the topic of differentiating between visible and invisible. So this chapter is written by none other than the man, the myth, the legend, C. Peter Wagner. And what a great chapter it is. Oh my goodness. Um, Now it may just be me nerding out over a bunch of intercessory info that I didn't know before. But wow, this book has just been so good. I love it. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's just dive in. So this chapter really focuses on, as we said before, differentiating between the visible and invisible. Another way to put this is the physical and the spiritual. Or as the author points out, this is at the heart of what spiritual mapping is about. For what we see in the natural or the visible world is the world as it seems to be. But spiritual mapping allows us to see not just the visible, but the invisible forces, whether good or bad, behind what's happening. In other words, spiritual mapping allows us to see what's really there. So one of my favorite sentences from the first few paragraphs was this. Uh, He wrote, God has given us a mandate for intelligent, aggressive spiritual warfare. And wow, if that doesn't make you feel like you have a license to get in the fight, then I don't know what will. That's just so good. So um, in the section about igniting God's wrath, which is pretty much the first larger section, Wagner talks about God creating us to glorify him and how the thing that ignites God's anger the most, uh, more than anything else, is when we worship created beings instead of our creator. Uh, Wagner points um, to animals, people, demons, rocks, like uh, whatever people are prone to worship, and that we were actually created to glorify God and not those things. But when we decide to worship created things instead of him, it dishonors God. So, On pages 54 and 55, Wagner begins to show us how different modern peoples worship creation instead of their creator. He starts with Japan and their worship of the sun, or as they see it, the sun goddess. Uh, And I'm going to try to read the sun goddess's name, Amaterasu Amikakami. Okay, that was pretty horrible. But uh, the sun or this goddess is the very symbol of their nation. It's on their flag. Um, And it's a territorial spirit over their nation. So they've exchanged the worship of God for the worship of one of his creations. Next, the author pointed out the, this lava rock in Hawaii. The, Navy, the natives in Hawaii call it the deity Pele. And he explains that many of the natives believe that if they don't honor Pele, she will get mad and burn them with lava. 
Now, I could be wrong, but I had a little memory of Moana the movie and was like wondering, is that what they were trying to point out towards the end of Moana? Is that Pele? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. But um, anyways, I just thought that was interesting that that Pixar movie kind of showed some of that. Okay, so further diving into how people worship created things instead of their creator, Wagner points out uh, major sites within the Grand Canyon that are named after Egyptian spirits, Hindu principalities, and Greek and Roman deities. Wagner believes this invites spiritual forces of darkness into these places when we name them after these other deities. And he affirms that spiritual forces of darkness are actually there because of that. And so I think that's really interesting and makes us think twice before naming something, definitely, but also brings awareness to, okay, what things might we know that are named certain things that could have principalities tied to them? So as we read further with Wagner, he talks about the danger of affirming culture. He addresses that we live in a society that only tries to affirm most other beliefs. But the danger in this type of culture is that God's people can ignorantly begin to affirm things that are from the enemy. Wagner encourages us not to ignorantly affirm culture. He encourages us to affirm and to encourage diversity, but not to be ignorant of it but instead to remain informed and to fight for what is right and what is best for the world we live in. Another thing that he points out is that each culture is unique, but they are all inherently good. And I thought this was really interesting. Uh, this is a vital point to, um, to, to what he's saying in this chapter, and I think it's really healthy for us to see that differing cultures are God's creations. He reveals this through the story of the Tower of Babel and how people refuse to spread out and diversify. So, in Wagner's opinion, and I only say it's Wagner's opinion because I just feel like there's so many opinions on this, um, but in Wagner's opinion, God gave them different languages. Not just because they disobeyed, disobeyed his command, but so they would glorify God by spreading out and diversifying. Isn't that kind of fascinating? But then again, diversity was always God's intention. So, again, in uh, Wagner's opinion that I tend to agree with, uh, cultures aren't bad. Wagner says... Uh, each culture or each people group or nation makes a contribution that no one else can make. So the unique flavor that each culture brings to the world is the redemptive gift that God gives to the world through those people. So each culture is a redemptive gift to the world just by their unique culture. That's pretty amazing. And I think it's important as we think about spiritually mapping to, to understand that, hey, this culture, uh, what God is doing in Orlando, uh, God wants to 
affirm the culture he's put in Orlando, but he wants to give it his kingdom flavor and not the enemy's slant on it. He doesn't want the imitation of it. He wants the real thing. He wants this to be the happiest place on earth. He wants it to be, uh, if you guys were here at our intercessory meeting tonight as we prayed for Orlando, he wants it to be uh, the, the city to know that he is their paramour. He is their lover, the one that actually loves people, whereas the enemy just wants to imitate it. He wants to be the Lion of Judah for them, who isn't just a uh, some uh, angry lion. He is, yes, ferocious and uh, not someone to be trifled with, but that he is a life giver, much more like Aslan from the movie Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He is someone that wants to give life and, and to fight for those who are in need. And so um, he has a heart for the people of Orlando. All right, so cultures can be corrupted, though. So it's not cultures aren't inherently evil, but they can be corrupted. On page, on page 58, Wagner dives into how America's fight against strongholds in many ways is answered by an equal and opposite stronghold of the enemy. And he writes about it on pages 58 and 59. He says, one of the most powerful strongholds the enemy has in American society goes back to slavery and is currently manifested just as strongly in racism. He brings up Lincoln's valiant emancipation proclamation, how that made this huge impact in the world at that day. It shut slavery down to an extent. But the answer the enemy uh, gave to that was to rise up in the form of white supremacy. Uh, detrimental words at the same time were coming out like America's a melting pot. And that basically means that all Americans are the same, which isn't true. And we shouldn't try to treat everyone as if they're the same. We should value differences. And also assimilation was, was trying to step in the spirit of assimilation, which tried to force black people to be like white people. And of course, we know that that's ridiculous and wrong. Um, but that was the, the enemy's answer to what God was seeking to do through setting captives free. And, and we see this continually happening, that as we continue to war against uh, the enemies, the spiritual force of darkness, that uh, with God's answer, that the enemy will try to fight back with something else. And so, I, I thought those were great points that he pointed out. All right, so in, in a nation where equality is valued so highly, in many ways, tolerance has become valued over truth. And this is a point that Wagner makes, and I thought it was tremendous. Wagner points out that if you go too far in the direction of tolerance, even with good intentions, you could end up in a far more damaging scenario than you began with. Now, one of the horrible impacts of tolerance in America is this pressure for everyone to be okay with what everyone else is doing. And many Christians have bought into this. And Wagner even tells a study that was done by Barna Group 
that revealed that 23% of evangelical Christians today believe in absolute truth. Now, this means that tolerance has had such an impact that it's been like sandpaper wearing away at our resolve to believe that the Bible is inerrant and the total truth of the Word of God. Now, as I read that stat, I'll just be honest with you, I don't remember if I've ever heard it before, but I don't think I have, and I was absolutely stunned. I mean, that's just crazy. 23% of Christians actually believe in absolute truth. I mean, how is that even possible? For, for God is truth, and uh, yeah, that's just astounding to me. Lord, help us. So, moving on, uh, we're, we're being awakened to the spiritual warfare. want to keep communicating. There is hope. God is working. All right, but on page 61, Wagner goes into how demonic powers team up with what is happening in America. And he says, number one, the powers of darkness provoke a resurgence of racism in new and more violent forms. Possibly minorities against minorities, or as we've seen in recent days, new awareness of past injustices between races can drive hatred and deeper wedge between these races. Instead of God allowing God to breathe grace and healing into hearts and bringing unity. All right, so number two, Wagner points out that demonic powers can divert legis legislative and judicial systems into legalizing rights of pressure groups, even if it damages society as a whole. Number three, demonic powers can open doors to moral decay. I thought that was a great point, and that's something that happens very easily in a culture that is just tolerant of everything, because there's no more wrong or right. It just is this gray area, and morality goes out the window. But he says that this is a product of people worshiping the creature instead of the creator. He said, when we do this, morality becomes shipwrecked. Uh, Wagner then asks the question, in a world where tolerance is becoming the norm, where do we draw the line as Christians? And I thought this was a great question. I mean, that's so important for us to solidify in our own hearts, where should I draw the line in what I'm tolerant to? And sometimes we call grace tolerant, or, or sometimes we call tolerance grace. We try to put that mask over it, but that we would unmask tolerance and recognize it for what it is, that it's actually putting uh, some things that we're calling tolerance are putting uh, this, this like okay sign over what the enemy is doing. And I'm not trying to be the, the person that's trying to come hard and fast against uh, everyone in the world and any anyone who's doing anything slightly wrong, I'm just trying to say, let's be honest and let God's discerning spirit help us to recognize, okay, this is an area that needs grace, that needs God's grace and needs me to be patient in. And this is an area though that I'm being tolerant in and that I should actually stand for justice. All right. So on page 62, Wagner writes, 
We want to identify the strongholds and follow biblical principles of spiritual warfare to tear them down and serve eviction notices to the spiritual forces behind them. Now, I thought that this was fantastic uh, because this is exactly what God told me to do regarding Sambala and Tobiah these forces who came against our building progress on the land. He told me to serve them an eviction notice. He said, give them, I think it was one month, give them 30 days. Tell them they have to get off the land, but that their work against what he's doing here has to stop now. And I thought that was so interesting. At the time, I couldn't make make sense of it because I was like, well, why don't we just tell them to get off now, Lord? But he literally told me, serve them an eviction notice. They don't have to leave for 30 days, but they have to stop doing what they're doing now. And I was just, uh, it, it made a lot more sense when I read what Wagner was writing. And it kind of brought it to the surface. And the Lord's like, see, that was, I, I was saying that and, and Wagner's affirming it. All right, so anyways, just thought, thought that was interesting. All right, so another part of this chapter that I found fascinating was when uh, Wagner talks about spiritual warfare on a smaller scale, particularly in cleansing his home. And if you've never done this before, I would encourage you to cleanse your home in the same way that Wagner is talking about. Now, if you need more information on this, then I would love to talk to you offline as I've had the privilege of doing this in multiple homes um, and on multiple occasions. So in the book, Wagner really hones in on his living room and he talks about this puma that he has and some masks and lamps that were decor that he had gotten from different countries as they administered there. So all of these items represent glorifying deities of the natives that they got them from. Now, they they talked about uh, how they immediately, him and his wife, immediately discerned that there was evil spirits connected to the puma, and God wanted them to smash the pumas and cast out the spirit that was connected to it. And I just want to bring up that this is a good reminder to us that there may be prophetic acts that God wants us to do as we're cleansing our home, or as we're talking about in a larger context, cleansing the city. He may want us to uh, uh, smash something, or he may want us to uh, break something or do a prophetic sign like uh, if you were with us in the beginning, Pastor Valdemir talked about how God had him. They made this wooden sword, and they went and they they um, drew a line. They, they took the sword and drug it along the ground on Main Street in their city, and it made this huge uh, spiritual impact. Somehow it cut off the head of the snake that was attacking them. And the Lord may have us do these prophetic signs to cleanse our home or to cleanse our city. And so that that was a really great point that he made in the book. All right, moving on to the masks that Wagner talks about in his home. He says they were uh, these masks that were used in animistic ceremonies that were designed to glorify tribal spirits. But they didn't feel like the masks had spirits attached to them, so they simply got rid of them. Um, and, and I thought that that was, that was good. It was good for us to hear that, okay, there's some things 
that don't need this dramatic cleansing action that go along with it. You know, it's like you, you get rid of it because God tells you to get rid of it, but that's it. That's enough, you know, and that we would grow in our discernment of what each, uh, what we need to do. We wouldn't feel like we have to do too much when a little's enough, you know, and so, uh, yeah, Lord lead us in these things. All right, so the last thing in his home were the lamps. These lamps, they they in, immediately they didn't get rid of them. They they actually liked them. He said, or it seemed like that's what he was saying. It seemed like he was saying they were so pretty and they really liked how they looked. And so he didn't want to get rid of them. But as they prayed more, and Cindy Jacobs came by and told them they should get rid of them. And so they're like, okay, we should pray about this a little more. And they basically came to the conclusion that, all right, though there might be not be any spirit connected to this, this was made to glorify something else besides God. And so we need to get rid of it. And so they did. They got rid of it eventually. Um, but this aspect of spiritual warfare, it's, it's reminiscent of something that I read in Derek Prince, one of Derek Prince's books. And if you've ever heard of him, um, or if you haven't heard of him, it's, it's fine. But um, he tells this story in one of his books that really just agrees with what Wagner's saying. And he, he tells a story um, about this painting that he had of a dragon. Now, uh, he didn't really want to get rid of it. It was a beautiful painting, and it was passed down as like a family heirloom, and plus it was supposed to be worth some money, and so he, he didn't want to get rid of it. But the more he was around this painting, the more he felt oppressed. And he just sensed in the spirit that this, this thing is causing problems. So finally, after a while, he decided he would get rid of it. He did, and he said the impact that made was so huge that things in his life began to shift. His finances began to almost immediately—in fact, he says that day something came in that was huge financially, and spiritual health began to be unleashed in him. And so um, I just want to encourage us that what Wagner is talking about, what Derek Prince is talking about, this is real. Like these items that spiritual forces of darkness attach themselves to, it's real. And just want to encourage us to cleanse our homes and to continue to press in the Lord to cleanse our city. Okay, so moving on with the book, Wagner makes some great points regarding the Apostle Paul and where he draws the line with the Corinthian church regarding eating meat sold in temples of foreign gods. And he says, feel free to always buy meat from the public markets without question. But then he says, you can eat meat that is sold at temples if no one announces that it's meat from these temples. Um, back in that day, meat that, were sold, that was sold in temples might have been cheaper than meat sold in the market. And so that was one of the aspects that was a pull in that way. But then he makes this caveat and he says, as for meat actually used in an idle ceremony, don't eat it. Then Wagner notes that this probably wasn't possessed by demons. This meat wasn't like filled with a demon, but the meat was used to glorify a demon. So it's not for Christians. 
And I thought that was that was great for him to suss out, like, okay, this is where Paul drew the line in um, tolerance. And I thought that that was a really good example. All right, Wagner advises three wise questions when we think about where we draw the line. He says, number one, might this open me to direct demonic influence? And I think that that's a really important question to ask. If, if we're wondering if us being tolerant of something or even, because tolerance is assent sometimes. When we're standing there assenting to someone doing something in quote-unquote tolerance, are we, uh, are we opening ourselves to direct demonic influence? Number two question is, does this give in any appearance of evil? And that's important, not just uh, necessarily like, oh man, am I seeming like I'm being evil or something like that? It's more of, does this feel or seem evil that's happening before me? Uh, and, and that's a part of how we can discern whether um, it's demonic. Number three, does this glorify God? That's a great question. All right, so these are just uh, wise and discerning questions that he gives, but I would warn us against, and, and I, I think this is important, the more we study demonology in this book and spiritual warfare, the more it le leads us into this possible trap of legalism. And so I, this isn't a part of the book, but I just want to put this out there. I've seen some who uh, get into studying demonic things begin to get so legalistic and restrict themselves from living because they're so fearful of embracing some demonic partnership. Um, but as we discuss these things, I just want to encourage you, yes, be discerning in the Lord and ask him to lead you, but that he wants to breathe his life, his freedom, and his discernment in you. He wants you to enjoy life to the fullest, but just ask him to continue to grow you in awareness and discernment in your spirit. But we should not fear the things we're learning about. We should simply grow in understanding. Okay, moving on. So as we've already heard, Wagner advises us to break things that God tells us to break. <laughs> I love that. I love breaking things. Anyway, sometimes this uh, is the best way to break off spiritual attachment from an item or a place. But if we don't own the thing or the property, then he makes the caveat we shouldn't break it. And I think it's a good point to make. <laughs> but why does he make this point? Because it's not ours to break. So he tells a story in the book about a building that his organization rents, and there's a statue that he describes as, quote-unquote, grossly unclean, and it's right outside his window. And he says a finger of that statue is pointing into his office window, <laughs> but um, since he doesn't own the building, he can't remove the statue. So he just said what they did is they prayed and they cleansed his office, they cleansed the, the building, the, the address, the location, and God has taken care of them. So um, in the final section of the chapter, which is a pretty big section, 
Wagner talks about national demonization. And uh, I mean, how's that for a title of this section, right? <laughs> I mean, it'll wake you up. It is asking this question, is our nation partnering with Satan? You know, that's just uh, awareness for you, right? Anyway, uh, this section is talking about nations that partner with spiritual force of darkness. So he talks about first Haiti and how in 1990, the end of that year, this leader named Aristide became Haiti's leader. And for anyone who knows of this leader, and I totally said their name wrong, please forgive me. But um, yeah, I'm just reading it phonetically. Anyways, Aristide becomes Haiti's leader and there was about eight or nine month period where he seemed to be turning things around for the country. As you know, Haiti has this history of poverty and bad leadership, and it just seemed like that this guy was turning a corner and uh, bringing the economy up. The economy was rising. The nation seemed to be moving towards thriving like they never had before. But in August of 1991, not quite a year later, Aristide requested that the top voodoo witch doctors, which is a very demonic group, um, he, he requested that they lead a national ceremony to rededicate the nation to the spirits of the dead. And one month after this ceremony, he was removed from office and the country plummeted into a worse place than it had ever been. And so... Uh, it's really interesting to see nations that partner with demons, they just get demolished. They get destroyed. That They're partnering with them for some reason to appease spiritual forces of darkness. But what they gain out of it is crumbs in comparison to the destruction that the enemy brings in return. Next, he tells a story of Japan and how a part of the stronghold that's tied to their nation is that their emperor is thought to be a god and embraces this title. And then he, in, in one of the thing that really keeps the stronghold in place is this uh, ceremony of sorts. And I, I don't, uh, hopefully only two people are there, but where he gives himself sexually to another top-level government official who is thought to be a goddess. And this union of them is this demonic, uh, like, stronghold, foothold that the enemy keeps putting over the government and over the nation. This demonization at the top levels of Japan's government. This is the creature being worshipped instead of the creator. All right, so Wagner goes on and talks about the United States. And he goes a little bit deeper with um, how we've become such a, a nation that just embraces multiculturalism. Now, a part of this, he says, he believes is really good because we were made to embrace and value diversity in different cultures. And, and I just agree with that so much. That's so good. But he says, and I love this, this is a great point, that the pit of embracing multiculturalism and tolerance to the point that we have is that we invite 
many other gods that are worshipped here from around the world. And he brings it into um, showing Solomon as an example, that Solomon fell to the allure of all these other cultures. And I actually uh, think that Solomon really uh, started out with good intentions. He wanted to value and appreciate different cultures, but in doing so, he ended up falling into ruin himself and bring the nation down. And right after Solomon's reign, the nation divided. So he def- he he drove the nation to this place. But um, he brought himself into ruin because he gave himself to worshiping these foreign gods. So there there is this interesting tension between diversifying and valuing different cultures and actually inviting tolerance and, uh, yeah, just just do whatever you want kind of mentality. And so I, I, I love how Wagner is differentiating, helping us to discern these things. All right. Wagner also talks about Hawaii's healing ceremonies, where they are really par- pagan ceremonies, and how the government, in, in one case, assented to this ceremony and that it invited demons into that land, he thinks. So last um, part of the chapter, Wagner talks about how spiritual mapping reveals, and I, I said this in the beginning, but I think it's good that we end here, that spiritual mapping reveals good and bad spirits in a region. And this is important for us to be aware of, that spiritual mapping should make us aware of what God's spirit and his angels are doing just as much as what the demonic realm is doing in a given region. And so I think we should grow not just in being aware of, okay, this is what the enemy is doing, but also being aware of this is what God is doing and this is what he already has in place. So Wagner, he makes a lot of incredible points in this chapter, but I I just really want to ask you guys, I'm wondering what impressions the Holy Spirit has been putting on your heart. What has God been... Uh, uh, revealing to you as you go through this chapter, as you go through this podcast. And and we want to know as an intercessory team, uh, the Holy Spirit keeps raising this message up in my heart that we're all puzzle pieces. And that if uh, the words that he gives each of us do not find their way up and, and are communicated to the group, then we're not going to have the full puzzle. So I just want to encourage each one of you, as the Spirit of the Lord is giving you words, don't just pray them in the uh, solitude of your own home, but share them with the group. We, we need to hear from each other, and I really want to hear, uh, yeah, what God is is speaking to you. So thank you for your time. I love you. God bless you. And yeah, we'll see you soon.